You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Over 7 million different animals inhabit our planet. The snub-nosed monkey is very unique. So good luck describing that face. Good luck. <laughs> what can they teach us? Snub-nosed monkeys have a special adaptation in their blood vessels to make sure that when they do breathe in, and thus their blood is circulating through their body, Many species are in crisis and need your help. Join the movement at allcreaturespod.com. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Angie. And we're still continuing. I think this is our last species for the month because we have a special episode coming up, episode 200. But... This will be it for our, our cold-weathered holiday season species. Yes, but we picked a fun one. I learned so much this week. Well, I mean, last year, okay. So we're doing the snub-nosed monkeys, more specifically the golden snub-nosed monkey, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, is, is an adorable, very charismatic species that lives in the mountains, in the snow, amazing stuff. And because we kind of struggled for a little bit because we did snow monkeys last year. That was an easy one. And then we were like, oh, we got to do a primate because you have an announcement here in a minute to, to make. Then you remembered the golden snub-nosed monkey. Yes. Yeah, it was It was all meant to be. It's going to be a great podcast. And we want to celebrate this week primates uh, because of an interview I conducted that will be released in a couple of days with Save the Chimps. And it's a fabulous organization, nonprofit that basically rescues chimpanzees that are in need of their care and in need of an improved welfare situation, either coming from private uh, industry or people, things like that. And it was it's a fascinating interview, and I learned a lot. And even though chimpanzees are considered great apes, we figured covering a primate species would yeah. get everyone in the mood, thinking just about how beautiful creatures they are, how mm -hmm. intelligent. And we're going to talk a lot today about the golden snub-nosed monkeys and how complex their social system is. And mm -hmm. hopefully you'll fall in love with them the way that I did. And they are currently endangered as well. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And anytime we cover an endangered animal, it always just my alarm bells goes up. I'm like, okay, we got to save this. We got to save this. But Especially with the primate, when I was watching videos this week and just reading more and more about them, I'm like, that's me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I I've acted yep. like that before, like, like just a second ago. Your and behavior. definitely my yeah, kids, yeah. my two boys, you know, they're, they're like, <laughs> they're, they're little wild monkeys themselves. And so we just have this connection to primates. And in the interview, I get to talk with Dr. Andrew Halloran, who is the director of the chimpanzee care and behavior aspect at Save the Chimps. And he goes into lovely detail about why we should care so much about primates and great apes in general uh, because of just their similarities to us on the evolutionary tree and just their personalities and how each one is so charismatic and that we just have so much to learn about ourselves from watching them. So definitely check out that interview. It'll be released in a couple days and uh, make sure you follow Save the Chimps on social media because it's just a wonderful, 
heartwarming place. It's just hundreds of acres in Florida where chimps just get to be chimps after coming from not ideal conditions. So yeah, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, it was, it was it was really fun to listen to that one and check that out for sure. You know, save the chimps. Angie, before we get going, real quick, we did do a poll from last week's species. I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep trying to stay on top of this with Instagram and Facebook. Which one was cuter, Arctic versus Fennec? I asked my boys; they were in unison. The Arctic fox. The I know Madison LA Zoo. Shout out to Madison. She has to love her Fennec foxes, but it came down. To a 56 versus 44, where the Arctic fox was deemed that just a tad bit cuter than the Fennec fox. But I think it was such a hard question. They're both adorable. I know. Do you go for the ears of the Fennec fox or the fluffy fur of the Arctic fox? But all I know is I love those polls. So hopefully we'll keep more of those coming because it just... Regardless of the answer, it makes me happy to look at cute photos. And uh, I might even have to vote twice, once for each. <laughs> just, I know <laughs> you keep the- making accounts. <laughs> the talking was like Angie, Angie 1, Angie 2, Angie 3, Angie 4, <laughs> totally. Angie 5. <laughs> so, yeah, not, we'll, uh, we'll- so, yeah. I'm, although we're scientists, our polls can be a little not as scientific, right? No, no, not at all. Not at all. And just you know, really quick, do us a favor. Share these episodes with your friends, family, your animal enthusiasts. Our audience is continuing to grow, but as we hit the new year, we really need to fight for these species. And we are, and we're making a difference, and and that's good. Even though the news isn't always great coming out of certain parts of the world, we are making a difference with these species. People are aware that the mass extinction is going on, and it's getting a lot of traction. So you help us, and you help the animals. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for all your, your follows, likes, and comments. Yeah, and I want to give a big shout out to Molly from Bolivia uh, for oh, reaching yeah. out to us. She she had a couple questions and some suggestions of species we should cover. Molly reaching out from Bolivia just really made my heart melt because I've had the chance to travel to northwestern Bolivia around the Lake Titicaca area, and it's a beautiful country, and I want to get back. And it was great to know that people all over the world are listening and that Molly likes it, and hopefully we'll keep listening and we'll and we'll definitely plan to cover uh, a species or two that are endemic from Bolivia. So thank you, Molly, Absolutely. again for reaching out. And anyone else, we would love to hear from you via either Facebook messengers or our email, which is allcreaturespod at gmail.com. And of course, you can follow us on Instagram if you want to do really fun polls that will make your day happy and see really cute pictures. Yeah, I'm much more active now. I'm down here in New Zealand. My phone's turned on and uh, I'm able to to do that stuff. So I'm getting back in the swing of things on Instagram to engage everybody. I, I think with, you know, we say monkey. So everybody instantly probably thinks capuchin or squirrel monkey or something like that. But the snub-nosed monkey is very unique. So good luck describing that face. <laughs> good luck. <laughs> well, Funny enough, Chris, I actually have two or three slides on okay. how to describe them. I will, yeah, I will yeah. condense my notes. And then I actually have four photos, which is okay. normally I just yeah. get one, right? Right, But right, this one, right. I was like, no, I, I need to see this part and that part. The best thing to do is check out our show notes or follow us on one of the social media channels where Chris puts up all these awesome pictures. But Chris, I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb here and say that this might be one of the cutest monkey species we've covered so far because it's so unique. Number one, it's got the fur and everybody loves fluffy, shaggy animals, right? That's what we just learned in our poll, (laughs) the Arctic fox and the finnick fox. So the snub-nosed monkeys in general, but especially the golden snub-nosed monkey have, they are rocking the fur and they are doing an amazing job at it. And Chris's fur of course, it in general has a golden brown color, hence the name Golden Snub-Nosed Monkey. But depending on if it's a male or a female, but especially these adult males, along the shoulders and back, it just gets really long and shaggy and beautifully multicolored. I'm talking from blonde streaks to blacks and grays mixed in there with like yellow highlights. I mean, this is this is like a dye job that women would pay yeah. really good, really good money for, but it's super fluffy at their shoulders and back and long. And it reminds me of a cape that, uh, like Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. Whenever it's mm-hmm. cold out, they would throw these like capes on or jacket or jackets on over, and it's just like 
really dense, gnarly, awesome fur. And what's really striking too is that the fur is really multicolored over the back and shoulders, but the head looks almost like a teddy bear head of just this brilliant orange or golden colored. Uh, and they have cute rounded ears. And depending on the sex and the age of the animal, the, the fur, the coloration pattern does change a lot. So mm-hmm. that uh, we'll put pictures on our show notes of each, of each stage of like infants and then juveniles, yeah. teenagers. And then with male and females, there is size and coloration patterns, sexual dimorphism. So they're going to be a little bit different. Babies in general are like all lightish cream colored. And then females aren't going to have as brilliant of long shaggy fur on their back and shoulders as the males. But the males, when they like when they stand up or you see their chest, their chest is like cream colored, mm-hmm, and then their head mm-hmm. their head is the golden orange, and then they have this like shaggy, amazing multicolored fur on the back. That's just their fur. Their face is also extremely unique. Yes, very. First, the coloration is almost a light blue in color. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah. It's it's it's. Yeah, yeah, very light shade of blue. It's, it's yeah, just which is striking. Awesome. Very yeah, striking. we talked about the yeah. blue facial pattern coloration in uh, mandrels, yeah. and how just unique that is in the animal kingdom. And then it's actually not really blue; that it's based on how the light reflects. So different pod for a different day, but it is a bluish color, and it's just really around. It almost looks like they have goggles on, and then like a circle around their mouth of just skin showing because they need to be mostly covered with fur to survive the cold weather. And so they have big brown eyes on this blue patch of their face. And then a nice round, typical monkey mouth, if you will, for lack of better terms. But the nose is where it's at. And the nose is very distinct, hence the name Snub-Nosed Monkey. And Chris, I think the best way to describe the golden Snub-Nosed Monkey's nose is to think of like almost a skeleton nose, if you will, uh, because they lack nasal bones. So they don't have this prominent big schnoz yeah. like myself or you other don't primate have a big species. Nose. You uh, don't have a big nose. <laughs> it's not big, but you know, it's it's you there. We have uh, noses. How about that? We have a nose. Yeah. That's a yeah, there you go. We have we yeah. have no we have noses. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So they lack the structure. It almost looks like there's just skin over yeah, yeah, yeah. a skeleton. Yeah. A nostrils of the skeleton. Uh and their nostrils are also like turned upright. So you can like really see them, if you will, where ours are, you know, if you've got a little boogie hanging <laughs> oh out, God. you can, yeah. you can kind of, con- con- you know, hide well, it's like it. like we do pig it. noses, However, right? I mean, if you did a pig nose, kind of, yeah. yeah. Very good. Yeah. If yeah. you did a pig, mm-hmm, if you did a pig nose, but then right, you didn't have right, all the right, fleshy, right. meaty part of your nose. And at, and I must say, at first, it's yeah. a little off-putting. It looks different. a little different. Um However, when we get into their, some of their physiological adaptations due to the cold weather, I'll explain more why their nose looks the way that it, it looks and why, why it works really, really well for them and, and why I wish I would have had a, a golden snub-nosed monkey nose that looks like that when I lived in Chicago because it really does help them out in the cold. Uh, but yeah, after looking at them and watching them and with this, and with this brilliant light-colored blue face and orange fur all around it, I decided that I think it's darling. So we'll have to do another poll and see if you agree if it's sightly or not sightly. Uh, But (laughs) man, even if you're not a fan of their nose structure, the fur and the beautiful golden, yellow, black, orange highlights in their fur and the pattern that it is, is just, to me, incredible. They're a very beautiful primate. Yeah, they are. They are. And I... We haven't done capuchins yet, but I imagine they're about the size of a capuchin. I mean, 20 to 33 inches in length, body length. You know, that's up to 80 centimeters. And then their tail's about, it, tail can get a little bit long. I mean, obviously with a lot of these monkeys it is, but tail can go from 22 to 38 inches or almost up to 100 centimeters long. So, I mean, that's, it's capuchin size roughly, right? Yeah. Almost two feet tall. Yeah. Maybe a little bit bigger. Yeah. I- it, from the videos, they look bigger to me. Uh, probably de- it, it probably depends on which species of capuchin you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, uh, But yeah, to me, they're yeah, your average size, size primate. Maybe like colobus monkeys or something, you know? Like That's kind of what I, I, I got. I, I get a real – maybe it's the hair or the color pattern. But yeah, they, they seemed 
I, I definitely thought of that or Langers. Yeah. Um, okay. Maybe a little bit bigger because poochins are kind of tiny, huh? Not squirrel monkey size. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Oh, definitely not. Not tamarind no, no, no. size. No, yeah. But, you know, definitely not chimpanzees. I'm just trying to give people visuals, you know, that, that this, they're, they're not huge. Now, these are monkeys that live in Asia. And uh, when you cover all, because there's five species of, of snub-nosed monkeys that we'll, we'll cover. So you've got Southern China. You know, but again, these are these are monkeys that live at elevation. So Tibet, so Tibet's cold up in the plains. Sichuan, uh, Gizu, all those provinces in China, and then the northern parts of Myanmar and Vietnam, and generally inhabit these mountain forests uh, about four thousand meters or almost thirteen thousand feet. Like that's, I've been up at fourteen thousand feet for a conference once. I could barely breathe walking up the stairs. Like just the air's thin up there. And we're going to talk about some of the adaptations and how they do that as well, because exactly, not only is it not fun to be that high up, when you think about the hypoxic air and the lack of oxygen in it, but they're climbing up and down trees and jumping around and foraging for food. And in the wintertime, they're doing all that in the snow. Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know. Most primates, except humans, you know, humans live in the cold. We've learned to adapt the cold thanks to our brains. But most primates don't. I mean, this is a, an exception out of all the species that we'll go through. But we had the snow monkeys that that could survive and thrive. And now you have these snub-nosed monkeys that survive and thrive in cold environments. I mean, most of the monkeys are, you think of the new worlds and the old worlds. I mean, you're thinking warm, hot, hot Africa. You're thinking India, you know, Southeast Asia, down in Myanmar, Indonesia, all those places. Yeah. Well, and I think that's why their their fur coat was so striking to me. Uh, in my opinion, it was it's even more prominent or fluffy or just unique than the snow monkeys uh, in Japan. So I, I just really, really fell in love with them. And and even more specifically, the golden stub-nosed monkey, the average annual temperature is about 6.4 degrees Celsius with a minimum of minus 8.3 wow. in January. Oof, burr. Burr, burr, burr. 8.3 degrees Celsius minus? Yeah, burr, 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 yeah. Burr. <laughs> so, but the other thing too is, we'll maybe put some footage on our show notes, but oh, they're so beautiful in the snow mm-hmm. because it's like there's all the white snow on the ground. And of course, here in the Northern Hemisphere, where I'm staying right now, uh, not in Florida, yeah, but yeah. in my old stomping grounds of Michigan or my husband's stomping grounds in Boston, Boston. they're, you know, they're starting to get some snow and all that. And I just see these pictures from back home and it makes me a little nostalgic. But watching the golden snub-nosed monkey jump around in this beautiful snow and then the evergreen trees and deciduous trees, the ba- and then they're just bright colors. It's just, it's just was incredible. Yeah. Some of the footage that uh, was on YouTube when I was preparing for this podcast. So we'll share some of that this week as well. No, I mean, uh, and, you know, looking at their... I think we've described that well, their range. So if you think about their range, living in these remote regions, I mean, they have a specific ecological niche for these environments because there's not a lot of primates or I would even say fruit. You know, we'll talk about what they eat. It's not, you know, what a typical monkey would eat. Uh, in Southeast Asia. No, it's it's pretty crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Chris is being calm no, about it. but I'm it. saying like... In the wintertime, it's nuts. It's nuts. So stay tuned. But it, I mean, it's not nuts. <laughs> it's not nuts. They don't eat nuts. I'm saying what they eat is, is in my opinion, very bizarre. I'm going to go back. What are you doing, a squirrel? What, what <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. No, it is. It is. Uh, but, you know, still seed dispersal. Some of the things they do is very specific to that biome. And there's mm-hmm. not a lot of species like them that are doing what they do ecologically. So when you see them endangered, you know, it's not only endangering, not only are they endangered, but the food web that's probably not robust, say, as the Amazon jungle or something like that. No, but they're definitely a prey animal for other larger species. And they're also act as kind of an herbivore, like you said, to spread seeds and do these other things. And so they they play a huge part in their local food web, even though it might not be as robust a food web. But what is robust in central and southwest China, where the golden snub-nosed monkey is endemic, is the amount of deciduous trees in those forests. In fact, where they live and inhabit 
is considered the world's largest high altitude forest where there are more deciduous tree species in this forest than anywhere else on earth. And so Chris, there's just a lot of diversity, biodiversity in the trees and this forest, which is really important when we think about also saving overall biodiversity, not just of the golden snub-nosed monkey, mm-hmm. but of plant species mm-hmm. and microorganisms and things we've kind of just, uh, have been going yeah, on t- yeah. tangents on in the last couple podcasts. Yeah. But I found this really, really amazing study that's pretty recent. It's out of the Chinese Science Bulletin from 2016. And it asked the question, does flagship species tourism benefit conservation? And this was a case study of the golden snub-nosed monkeys. And the title of the article is, does flagship species tourism benefit conservation? Mm-hmm. And it's a case study of the golden snub-nosed monkey in Shingajia? I, I don't know, Chris. <laughs> somewhere, uh, somewhere in China? I don't know. It's a national nature... Na- uh, it's a national nature reserve. Right. Sorry, got me all tongue-tied because right. I'm laughing so hard. Uh, but at any rate, what they, they did is they went and looked at the flagship species. Well, what is a flagship species, you might be asking? That's going to be a species that's like an ambassador or a symbol to help define a habitat because, well, often because it's cute and big or strong or something like that. And in this region in China, it's definitely the, the golden snub-nosed monkey because they're just so stunning and mm-hmm. gorgeous and and people love looking at them and and so they're more likely to want to save them than some deciduous tree that maybe only uh botanist would right, like, right right and so in that paper they examine tourism uh, focusing on who was coming in to see the golden snub-nosed monkey and what their thoughts were and the researchers concluded that this flagship or going to see the golden snub-nosed monkey tourism it generates revenue for conservation in general of the whole park and region, but it also improved officials, so people that work there and are higher up in like government and things like that, their their attitudes towards wanting to protect the region and the biodiversity within the region. So it was good for the golden snub-nosed monkeys, conservation-wise, was also good for all the bio- biodiversity within that region and those deciduous plant species that we talked about. There's so many of them, but it was also good for the economy and for the attitudes of officials higher up that help make some of these policy decisions about land and things like that. And it goes to show just what can happen when a region puts their effort and money into conservation of a flagship species. There's a lot of benefits and that doesn't mean we won't, we don't want to forget about the, microorganisms or the trees or anything like that, but everything ends up benefiting. Because Chris, in this region, there are about 1,500 golden snub-nosed monkeys, a recent census found. And within that, they think their numbers have grown by about 200 uh-huh. um, in the past decade or so yeah. since their, since these regulations have been put in place. And so the Chinese are touting this as a very hopeful uh, movement for conservation and showing what can be done when when basically the stars align and we help conserve really important species. Yeah, no, and it, 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 it impacts other, like you said, other animals, other areas. So, you know, that's great. Like that's that's the studies and science we need coming out because, you know, the, these animals need to be protected and, and the, their biomes. You know, so mm-hmm. it's good. It's another story. Mm-hmm. We've told this across the earth, across the planet, that when you start protecting these areas and these species, you know, other species benefit. And uh, that's awesome. So, Angie, I went and obviously, you know, when, I, when we do a species in a different part of the planet, I always go and, and look at impacts, conservation, what's going on in that area of the world. And so we, we've we've touched upon mountains and climate change, but we have not... We have not talked about China and this part of Asia yet. We've we've done more focused on the South with like palm oil and stuff. So I found a 400 page, and I did not read all 400 pages, <laughs> but it is the Hindu Kush Himalaya assessment: mountains, climate change, sustainability, and people. 
And this was produced by a, a team of 300 scientists and came from the International Center for Integrated Mountains Development out of Nepal. Very interesting, you know, read some of their assessment, what's going on uh, with this part of the world. And so just briefly, the Hindu Kush, people have probably heard about that. I mean, everybody knows the Himalayans, you know, Mount Everest. But this is a pretty, pretty extensive mountain range and region. So you're stretching from Afghanistan, Pakistan, northern India, Nepal, Bhutan, China, going into Bangladesh and Myanmar. So this is spaced out across a lot of countries with a, I think the importance that I got a lot out of this study was the water resources and rivers. And Mm -hmm. so this, this assessment was kind of looking more at the, the human impact, but for our listeners, imagine it on the wildlife impact, because this mountain range affects not only 1.9 billion people, so what, two out of almost eight, so a quarter of the planet's population are in this region of the world. And this area holds over 30,000 square miles of glacier ice, and that's more than anywhere wow. else. Yeah, okay. it's huge. Yeah. More than any anywhere else in the world, there's more ice there besides the poles, is here in the Hindu Kush. And so this mountain range affects not only water resources, food resources, but affects weather, weather patterns around the planet. It's it, it, it has a huge influence on more than just that region of the earth. So what this study was, you know, obviously looking at was climate change. And they and to quote them, they said it's roasting the Himalayan mountains. Yikes. And we I think we we tugged. We touched upon this with Ilipika, I, I think I remember, and then even maybe Chinchilla in the Andes. And then with the pika, we were talking about like high elevation and how it's warming up. And so the pikas are, you know, right. adapted to be in these cold environments. Right, right, right. So since the beginning of the 20th century, temperatures have risen nearly two degrees Fahrenheit. And they're finding the mountain ranges are warming up quicker than, say, the valley regions or the plains or other parts of the earth. Now, we know the poles, this is what we've talked about at great length with climate change, the poles are warming up really quick. And we're worried about glacier ice in the Antarctic and the, the sea ice up in the Arctic. So now you're looking at mountain ranges across the planet at the very top, you know, we see this in Greenland, we see this in the United States, we see it in parts of South America, the glacial ice is retreating, it's melting, because it's warming up quicker in the mountains. Climate modeling, so in these 300 scientists, they had a lot of climate scientists in there. So they're saying the climate around this region of the earth is going to change and change drastically. It is going to, you're going to have erratic rainfall, more drought. And you have to think about how all of that water and melt is going to affect all the species there. And so their their climate scientists were saying, even if global warming is limited to one and a half degrees Celsius, or that's about 2 to 2.7, almost three degrees Fahrenheit by the end of the century. And they, they call it like the quote is, you'll call it a miracle if that happens. They said the high mountains are going to warm even more. So the damage is done. We know that with climate change. The damage is done. It's can we mitigate and then reverse over the next coming decades? That is where we are with climate change today at the end of 2020. It isn't that, oh, this is going to happen in 10, 20, 30 years. It's happening today. It's can we limit the damage? And some of their estimates have over the next 20 years, like, the temperature's rising by 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit. Yikes. Yeah. So just to sum it up, I mean, it's, you know, and, and, and most of our listeners, I hope you're not rolling your eyes thinking, oh God, climate change again, Chris is going on his tangent. It's, I just wanted to give you glimpses across the globe. So when I think of these snub-nosed monkeys that depend on climatic events like snow, like water, things like that, when that disappears, these animals can disappear. And, and it's just more than them. I mean, there's all the other species up there that depend on these weather patterns and 
water resources and things like that. So again, that's why I think you're seeing people like David Attenborough, Greta Thunberg has making a lot of, lot of noise in the last year or two. You know, we have to listen to them and we all have to subscribe to that and do our part. So anyways, another region of the earth, you kind of get an idea of what's going on there. And, uh, you know, but the good news is people are aware there is a lot of change here in New Zealand. They just declared climate change emergency. You know, the government did. So trying to become carbon neutral, I think by 2030 is what they said. Um, so, so people are, are taking notice. Governments are starting to take notice and hopefully we can reverse all this. Absolutely, Chris. After watching those videos of the golden snub-nosed monkeys playing in the snow, climbing trees, just being them, that's what we need more of, right? We we need mm-hmm. them to stay in the habitat that they've evolved and adapted to over hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years. And it would be a shame to undo that just because we love our conveniences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and it's funny. I'll, I'll jump into evolution now and you're talking about animals that have been around for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years. So the snub-nosed monkey, like I said, there's five species, but again, to break down their classification, orders primates, these infraorder is the seminiforms. So that's your new and old world monkeys and apes. Your family is Circopithecidae. So that's your old world monkeys. And then the subfamily is Colobinae. So it's very complex with the primates. It's like you got all these offshoot orders and families and Mm -hmm. things like that. So the Colobinae is is interesting. It's an interesting uh, uh, subfamily. 61 species, 11 genera. So that's where the the Colobus, the Procolobus, some like, you know, what is it? The red, the red Colobus monkeys, olive Colobus, black and white. The Lutongs, I, I don't ever remember hearing them. Gray Langers, the Snub Nose, the Proboscis Monkey, which we're going to do some point. The big, that's the big snoz. If you're talking about a big nose, that's the that's that huge nosed monkey. Uh, and Langers, the pigtailed Langers. So that's the uh, the subfamily. Now the species, like I said, there's five species of Snub Nose. We're talking kind of focused in on the Golden Snub Nose. The Yunnan snub-nosed, the Jizu snub-nosed, the Tonkin, and the Myanmar or black snub-nosed monkeys. Those are your five species. Then you have three subspecies of golden snub-nosed. Okay, so now we kind of know where they are related. Now, primate evolution is always fun. You know, the earliest primates look like prosimians or today's lemurs 55 million years ago. The first true primates evolved all over the world, North America, Europe, Asia, Africa, in the Eocene, so 40 to 35 million years ago. The old world monkeys, which is where our snub nose come from, emerged in Africa about 24 million years ago. And then remember, the new world's like we're on the, the rafts of vegetation, making their way over to Bolivia and other parts of South America. So at some point, they moved into Asia And DNA evidence has pointed to the most recent ancestor of the snub nose lived about 1.8 million years ago. And that's where the snub nose evolved out. And then you had your five species. So Angie, I'm running out of like large, you know, we're at 200 episodes in. We've done more than that, but you know what I mean? Like 200 episodes I've ran out of like large, unique primates. So I thought what I could do. (laughs) So funny. (laughs) I did. Well, we had Giganticus, which was huge. But what I've decided to do was go back in our old family tree and and start talking about some of when we do primates and start talking about some of our relatives. And this one is is pretty freaky looking. So this is one of our earliest ancestors, Nacolipithecus, that went extinct nearly 10 million years ago. And it was a great ape found around Kenya. And they've only identified it due to a jawbone and some teeth, which the people that do that can extrapolate. It's incredible. Yes, yes. Yeah. I, I, I don't fully understand it, but I'm sure Xander and or Zachary, who both want to be <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> a paleontologist, I'm yeah. sure they'll explain it to me someday. Yes, I hope so. I hope so. 
And so this was one of our earliest ancestors that ran around. I, I because they just found a jawbone. I don't know how big it was, but it was a a somewhat upright primate. I mean, still you know walked on four, but would stand up a little bit. But we don't know. We don't have hip bones to to determine that. But in the in our family tree, I w- I'll just note gorillas split from us just as a reminder nine million years ago. Chimpanzees or bonobos split about six million years ago. Okay. So I'm going to start telling our story when we do primates with human evolution. And I'm going to start it with Nakathipithicus. This is this. <laughs> it's a big word. Nakalipithicus. So there you go. There's your uncle right there, Ange. <laughs> oh, we all have that uncle. <laughs> right? <laughs> or sibling. <laughs> yeah, a sibling, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this holiday, we won't be able to spend time with our, our crazy uncles. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. but definitely missing them and loving them, even if they are that funny uncle. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, I, I'm interested to hear about some of your adaptations. I, you know, the facts were, were a little threadbare on the snub-nosed monkeys, anything specific that's different than your average primate. There's no data on how long they live in the wild. The only thing we have is they live about 26 years in, in, under human care. So there's there's no really no longevity studies in the wild on them, uh, probably because they're just so remote. I mean, they're, they're difficult to study. So Chris, yes. And we do know a lot about their behavior because of some of these uh, national reserve forests where they are protected and researchers have gone in there. However, there's still lots of chunks of data, in my opinion, missing when we compare it to maybe a different primate species, just because of the remoteness of where they live and then also the harsh climate in the wintertime. And so, yes, a a film crew will come out there and, and, and snap these beautiful videos of them playing or fighting in the snow and things like that. But as far as collecting like hardcore behavioral data on them or doing a lot of like physiological studies and things like that, 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 that evidence is lacking. And so We'll give you what we do know. And as far as how they can survive in the cold, I actually found a lot of data about not necessarily the golden snub-nosed monkey, but mm-hmm, snub-nosed mm-hmm. monkeys in general. So those five other right. species that Chris mentioned. But in general, what they all the snub-nosed monkeys have in common is they do have those shaggy coats, thick, woolly, furry coats to help keep them warm, which is such a dramatic difference than other primate species, especially ones that live in the tropical regions. And as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, and I don't know if I did it a good job or a bad job when I was describing their their face and their snub nose, this flattened nose, if you will, or like Chris said, kind of like a pig nose. Um, pig nose, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that the nasal bones are absent and therefore the nostrils are are kind of turned upwards. And so, Chris, with this shape and lack of flesh, things like that, uh, I'm sure many of our listeners that live in colder climates know what it's like to get a cold, runny, freezing nose if you're out in cold weather for a long time. And so they just kind of removed a lot of the nose, I guess, if you will, and yeah, yeah. and thus remove the problem. And so I just thought that was super clever as far as I know that for me, it's my my nose, my fingers, and my toes that get cold. But toes of course, always. you can put socks on and special boots and, and gloves, but your face is pretty hard to cover up unless you're wearing like a full ski mask. And so my, yeah, my nose is always cold and red and drippy after being outside <laughs> in the cold and <laughs> the, the snow for like five minutes. So uh, it's oh, yeah. De- yeah, it's definitely an extremely unique adaptation uh, for primates. And then just in general for other cold, uh, cold weather species that we've come across here on this podcast. And another thing, Chris, that you actually brought up is the altitude, right? Like being that high mm-hmm. up yeah, at 4,000 yeah, meters, oxygen, yeah. it's a little tough to breathe. And for anyone who, out there who's ever tried to like scale Everest or other big mountains like K2, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of training, a specialized equipment and it's risky, right? Uh, and so granted, the golden stub nose monkey isn't up quite that high, but it's high enough where there's less oxygen in the air. The air is hypoxic. But the stub nose monkeys have a special adaptation in their blood vessels to make sure that when they do breathe in and thus their blood is circulating through their body, they have an increase in oxygen uptake 
in this habitat. So even though they're getting less ex oxygen in per breath, their body has the ability in these, these specialized capillaries to pull out more oxygen from that. And therefore they can run and jump and swing and play and climb and do all these other things that you and I, you and I probably would no, be able to do. No, no. It was a meeting in, in Colorado. I was at, I forgot where it was, Keystone, I think, 15,000 feet, whatever it was. And I walked the stairs and I was, I was in somewhat shape, not, you know, army shape or anything, but it was hard. It was hard getting around, you know, exerting yourself because the air was so thin. And I'm coming from, from yeah. those South Carolina days. So, you know, sea level. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it's, interesting. It's, re it's really quite unique for, for, especially for a primate species. Right. And that's why this week was just so fun. Just watching them in the snow and the cold weather and just being able to survive. And then the last really unique adaptation that I could find about golden snub-nosed monkeys and snub-nosed monkeys in general is how they survive in the wintertime and what they eat. That kind of blew my mind yeah. a little bit. Yep, yep, yep. You sent that video, you sent that video one. And, you know, so I, I say they're very selective feeders. Like they, they are picky. And, you know, during the warm winter months, obviously spring, summer, they, they eat a lot of leaves, pine needles, fruit seeds. So there is some there. I didn't see nuts like we talked about, but maybe. No, that was, I was just saying they are nuts for what they eat in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah, they but, know. But yeah, bark. I mean, they eat some mm -hmm. bark. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, and then during the winter, you're right. It gets hard because then that diet becomes primarily bark and lichen. Yes, lichen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's I, like I how rain, that's how reindeer survive. Reindeer. Yeah, I know. It's like way up in the great North. So, you know, and then they, they you know, I just, well, they'll, they'll find what they can sometimes, you know, like I said, if they find nuts, they probably eat it, maybe some grass and stuff, but very selective, but you're right. Cause that video you showed was, was really cool. And, and I will definitely post those video links on the show notes so people can look at it. And one of the things I, I found interesting before we jump to behavior, because you can expand on some of this stuff, is the predators, they, they, they obviously are a prey species, like, you know, small primates generally are. They don't know the exact predators. So I kind of went through a list and said, well, snow leopard came immediately, you know, obviously in some parts of its range, because the snow leopard's limited. Some parts, they have wolves there, lynx, possibly. Eagles are known to swoop in and get, especially younger primates. Mm -hmm. So they probably take some off. Tigers, I don't know how many tigers are at that elevation in those ranges. You know, no, the Amir tigers I, live in the yeah. snow, but, mm -hmm. you know, the I Indian. Know if, yeah, I don't yeah, know if they're found they that region. That One of the predators I was reading about is the Asiatic golden cat. Oh, okay. They might grab some. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, which is a species, species I'm not. I'm not super there. familiar with that species, so we're gonna have to always put it on the to do list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyways, they, they are preyed upon. We know that it's just the exact predators because, again, not an easy species to study at elevation like we talked about. But, but we do know so we do have data. We have some data on behaviors and definitely reproduction. Yes, so. yeah. And one of the things when it is easier to watch them and follow the different family groups around. Is in, when the weather is better in the springtime and all the green buds are coming up and leaves are regrowing and things like that, that they will spend about 25% of their day foraging, traveling around, eating leaves, buds, flowers, things like that. They're mostly arboreal, so they are mostly in the trees. However, they will go to the ground uh, quite often to move from tree to tree, depending on how far apart the trees are. And most studies have shown that they're diurnal, right? So they're active during the day, which that, that makes sense with a lot of our, the primate species that we're familiar with. But there was a study in the Quinling Mountains in central China that did suggest some nighttime activity. And the authors of the study speculate that there's some kind of compromise between anti-predator behavior, of uh, maybe going out at nighttime's a little bit better, uh, depending on the season. Um, but... And, but also it's so cold that you don't want to stay out and be too active at nighttime because, well, it's just that much colder and you need to thermoregulate. Um, 
But one of the strategies or coping mechanisms for this cold weather, especially in the wintertime, is the monkeys will often sleep in the lower part of a tree canopy. So not super high, right? That mm-hmm. that way they can catch, they won't get caught in the wind as much. And yeah, I was gonna think wind, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then they also form large sleeping clusters, which is just gotta be one of the most adorable things ever. And these Pure clusters, yeah, for body heat, right? And so these clusters of all this fur and all this uh, golden snub nose monkey love is often seen between mothers and then their their offspring, um, and then also adult females. Uh, usually, some usually the males are left out. out. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> find a buddy, find a cuddle buddy. Oh, okay, you're out. <laughs> yeah, you're out. Uh, we're, we will, we'll 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 yeah. be okay by ourselves. But yeah, 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 yeah. and. So researchers think that this behavior, which is unique in a, uh, compared to a lot of other primates, but it does help keep them warm, help them thermoregulate, um, and especially in this wintertime when it's cold as well. Um, and then researchers also suggest that it might help increase group cohesion and bonding and things like that, right? Like those who cuddle, sleep cluster, and snuggle together, Always. stay together, right? Always. Yep, 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 yep. You hearing this, John? Yep. Yeah. Oh, I, I definitely miss our Chicago days when it was like so cold and we were like a newish couple. And oh, yeah, yeah it was like snuggle time. That's <laughs> no, like, that's now like we're, don't touch me. Yeah, now we're old and hot in Florida. I'm kind of like, okay, there's your side and I'm over here. <laughs> and then we usually have a, a dog or a kid or a cat. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. sometimes all of that in the middle. All of it. <laughs> Yes, I see it. Yeah, and so I can wait. I'm like, oh, I remember those sleep cluster days, honey. We'll maybe, maybe we'll get back to him again. Uh, not, not anytime soon, however. <laughs> but yes, uh, it's always. I always joke in, uh, in at our house. It's like in the morning, you never know like who's gonna wake up where. You know, it's almost like college. Like, am I in this bed or that bed? Who's with who? Who's on what? What's on first? Anybody uh, with kids relates. Oh my goodness! Relates. Right. Uh, but yes, I mean that's part of the fun is all the all the different dynamics of family and uh, social structure that happens once you have a family. And the golden snub-nosed monkey is no different. They're found in groups that range from five to ten individuals, or in these really large groups of up to hundreds, depending on the season. And what's really important to know about golden snub-nosed monkeys is that they live in a multi-level social system. In fact, I actually found a paper on the social structures of golden stub-nosed monkeys in Nature Communications. So one of the big mm-hmm. journals, yep. and it was uh, published in 2014, so it's rather rather new, where they did a lot of tracking, um, and I believe this was in the better weather in the, in the, in the summer, springtime, of golden stub-nosed monkeys, and they found all these different groups. So there's the fundamental group, which is one male, and a multi-female social unit. So one male, lots of females. And he's a single breeding male. And he kind of serves as a hair male and protects those females and their offspring. There's also all male units or like bachelor groups, if you will, that reside together. So many of the males in the bachelor group are juveniles or sub-adult males that have been like kicked out of their uh, the original um, uh, multi-female social unit uh, where their mom is. And they have dominance and hierarchies all within that. But then there's also solitary males that can sometimes bounce over to the bachelor group or is waiting to take over one of the, the multi-female social units. And that's just the units, okay? But these groups interact differently depending on the season. So when it's breeding season, which we'll touch on here in a second, there's a breeding band that's formed of several different multi-female social units that coordinate and hang out together. They'll feed, they'll forage, they're just like having a party time, uh, but they don't really like crossbreed. So they're just together in these big bands, but they're still these separate units. There's also a herd dynamic that happens sometimes where all these breeding groups will come together And then sometimes, depending on the season, there's this herd dynamic, okay? And that's where you get the breeding bands plus all male bands and these solitary loner, these lone wolves, these lone monkeys. God, I wonder how they survive. Wow, yeah. I know, right? And and so they'll kind of like hang out together and get along. And then there's Mm -hmm. a troop. 
which the troop is usually the word that I use for just uh, a group of monkeys together. But the authors define in this study as a troop is one or two more herds that can cross over a home range. So these really big groups that will sometimes at least get along um, for the most part, depending on the time of the year. And they'll hang out and it's just this crazy multi-level societies. Really dynamic, really fascinating. And depending on the season and probably food sources of food, how hard the winter is, they can have these bigger units or these smaller units. And so just really, really dynamic and also fluid, like it changes. So I think that's why this paper was published in Nature, Nature Communications because it's just really incredible. And, and and the researchers point out there's so much we don't know about the golden snub-nosed monkeys and how they're able to survive. And they think that the family unit or whatever group they're in, these multi-level societies, really help them survive and have and have helped them be successful along the way as long as humans don't destroy their habitat and overhunt them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as long as we, yeah, like I said, reverse some of this climate change too, you know, because they're in this mountainous region and those animals are, are, are starting to feel the effects. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And similar to several primate species Chris and I have covered, uh, the golden snub-nosed monkeys are very vocal. They tell it like it is. They're not shy. Uh, and they have different specializing calls, depending on what they're trying to uh, get across. Uh, they can be whines. They can be cries. They can be uh, loud, specific shrills, squeaks, squalls, all different types of vocalizations and all different types of contexts. And of course, they can show off their personality by grunting or sighing or moaning or even belching, which is always hilarious, right? Uh, but a cool behavior as far as vocalizations that I found is the golden snub-nosed monkey can be somewhat of a ventriloquist. So right. it can make this whiny, shrill sound yeah. that can be exchanged between males and females when they're eating. So I don't think researchers mm-hmm. know what they're saying. But their mouth is closed and there's no facial expression to look like they're moving their face. So they call it basically like a ventriloquist behavior. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, that's it cool. might be to like not open their mouth because it's so darn cold, right? Like they're like, mm, uh, probably. Yeah, I know. Or they're oh, maybe yeah. they're really polite and they want to chew with their mouth closed but still make noise. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Have you seen primates? Yeah. <laughs> so, primates can be a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because no, that's, that's I, I was taught to always chew with my mouth closed when I was eating, but I always want to talk, right? So it's just always this battle yeah. and I just love to talk and usually. I keep talking, which means I'm not very polite and I chew with my mouth open. Look, you and John have had conversations. Anybody that's been in a relationship, you've had conversations where your mouth's closed and you're like, what'd you say? What'd you (laughs) say? Oh, wait, I didn't want to open my mouth because I'm chewing. (laughs) Uh, So funny. Uh, But but on the flip side, the male and female uh, golden snub-nosed monkeys also perform vocalized duets. And researchers have described them as similar to monogamous birds. So just really, really beautiful Mm. uh, chorus type vocalizations that are usually between male and females, but sometimes are just found. Gibbons? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Yeah, the gibbons, yeah. Within their groups or subgroups. And so I just. Amazing stuff. mm -hmm, I just love that. John and I love to sing duets. There's a couple songs he's like, I always try to get him to harmonize. I'm like, don't listen to me. Like you take your part. Like I'm giving you. I don't say it in that way. So I'm like, I'm giving you the melody. Okay. All right. With I, your mouth closed. All right. I'm doing the hard part over here. I'm doing the harmonizing. Like, just just don't listen to me and just stick to the melody. Because he's got a good voice. If, but but it's hard to train your ear to not listen. And anyways. But yeah. sometimes we get it. And then our kids just think we're weird. They're like, you guys are so weird. Um, yeah. But they'll appreciate us someday, right? Uh, one day, one day. One day. Uh, and, but, but also similar to humans, uh, this golden snub-nosed monkeys basically make a lot of visual or facial features, right? Their body, and you can often tell when they're upset, right? That open mouth and those uh, canine teeth. Yeah, you know when they're upset. And with their body posture too, they can do a lot of a lot of signaling as to what they're feeling with their body posture. And of course they have some lovely tactile uh, sleep cluster snuggles that can help demonstrate a really positive affiliative relationship with one another. Leading to <laughs> babies being made and born. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, 
Oh, yes, Chris. The golden snub-nosed monkey is not afraid to show affection. Uh, it can actually be seen breeding throughout the year. However, researchers think that it's primarily a seasonal breeder in the, in the fact that breeding will peak around October. And then babies are typically born the following spring. And when it is that period between August and November where they're definitely peaking in their breeding behavior, I love this one. The breeding actually starts with the female. She's she's the, the leader as far as uh, encouraging the male. And she'll often do that by taking up his eye contact. And then once they make eye contact, she'll actually run away. And I was cracking up at this because I, I won't not just a quick little sidebar. Uh, when yeah. I uh, when I told John that I had a crush on him, I actually told him, and then I ran away. <laughs> and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't, I didn't run, run away. I happened to like I was about ready to walk uh, my dog yeah. Sinatra, and I had a furry winter coat on, and and it was before work, so like I, I had to get to work. We had to get to work. And we were roommates at the time, just friends. Um, and but I realized through another story for a different day that I think I did have a crush on him, and I needed to tell him that, which is always risky. Anybody who's ever done that before, and I told him, and his face was just completely blank, like unreadable, like not not <laughs> frowning, but not smiling. Poker face, total poker face, yeah. total poker face. And so yeah, I was yeah. mortified because I took it as like not a good sign. And so I told him, and then I like I was like. Okay, I got to go walk the dog. And then I ran out the door. <laughs> and then we met at work later on in the day. He's like, I think we should talk about <laughs> what happened this morning. <laughs> and, you know, uh, 12 years later or so. Here uh, you are. Here we yeah, are. Yeah, kids uh, yeah, and everything. You guys are amazing. So, I but I just love You're that. The, the, the female, like, flirts a little bit and then runs away. And so um, uh, she'll yeah. also sometimes flash the male when she runs away, flash her genitals. I did not, for the record, I did <laughs> not do that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank I you. just took the dog and ran out the door. Um, ran off, yeah. But what the female's doing is if she does show off her genitals, uh, uh, she's showing that she's in estrus and that she has proceptive behavior uh, and letting him know, the male golden stub-nosed monkey, that it's, it's, it's go time. But what the female's doing when she is, if she is showing her genitals, she, she's basically letting the male know that she's in estrus and she has these proceptive behaviors um, and that she is ready to breed. But she'll also do things where she'll like lie with her head hanging down, stretching out her forearms and doing some of these visual, um, visual movements where she'll let her tail, her tail hang freely. And once again, kind of show her anal genital region to the male. So depending on if she's in a tree or on the ground, when she's doing mm -hmm. her behaviors, they might be a little bit different. Um, so yeah, I'm like, I gotta, I, I yeah. need to see that on video. It's just so, so yes, funny. Yes, yes. Uh, but when the male, yeah. when the male picks up what she's putting down, which for John, it, it took a little bit longer, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but when the, when the golden snow nose, stub nose monkey, Responds to a female, he'll open his mouth and kind of do like this open mouth mm -hmm. behavior, and then and then uh, him and the female will breathe. That's the jaw hitting the ground. You what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was a little bit. He was shocked. He was uh, he was shocked. So, yes. yeah. uh, he's made he's made up for it ever since. But and luckily, luckily, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I'm I'm not easily detoured. So I, I have a pretty. He's a great. Yeah, yeah he's yeah, a good dad, yeah. good husband. Oh, yeah, yeah. so funny, so funny that I still remember that day like it was yesterday. But anyways. <laughs> And so upon conception, the golden snub-nosed monkey will be pregnant for about six to seven months, and she'll give birth anywhere from March to June, which is the springtime, leaves are budding, and the food sources are a lot higher. And at this point, the data looks like the golden snub-nosed monkeys will breed every year or two. So every year or every other year, depending on food availability from the previous uh winter. But when little babies are born um, of the infant, the mother provides most of the care. However, males have been observed like grooming the infants. And since they do have this complex social structure, researchers think that males probably are going to help out a little bit just in general because they're there and it's part of their multi-level uh, complex societies. But in the end, the female does most of the parenting 
And some, sometimes the aunts will, uh, our relatives, uh, females within the close unit will want to see the baby and hold on to it and help out. So there's definitely some extended family help, whether it's coming from another female sibling or here and there from dad. And in regards to their life cycle, uh, female is going to become sexually mature around five years of age. And for male, it's going to take a little bit longer, five to seven years. Uh, and then, of course, he has to establish dominance and get his own little harem mm-hmm. going on. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, they must have a pretty decent lifespan. I know, yeah. I know under human care, it's like 20-some years. Um, 20-some years, yeah. But in the wild, a lot just depends on all, all the resources. And mm-hmm. I know that unfortunately right now here in the United States, there are not any um, golden snub-nosed monkeys under human care. The San mm-hmm. Francisco Zoo had one for a while or some, and the San Diego did for a little bit, but this was all like 1980s, uh, so a long time yeah. ago. Yeah, it was like the muskox. They had them in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the zoos are just learning what species they can specialize in actually you know, really take really good care of. Years ago, I think the theory was like, let's have as many as possible. But now Mm -hmm. it's like, let's, let's have less species, but like really focus on giving them big habitats and caring for them really, really conservation. I mean, it goes back to conservation. I mean, you, Mm -hmm. you know, these emergency populations, you know, we're going to talk about conservation here in a minute. So, yeah. And, but, uh, I think they can be seen in Hong Kong, Japan and South Korea and in China, especially in these like national reserve parks. No, that's good. Yeah. I mean, like you say conservation, these are all endangered. The, the golden snub nose is endangered. Yes. The Yunana snub nose is endangered. The Gizu snub nose is endangered. The Tonkin, which is in Vietnam, Myanmar area, critically endangered, maybe 200 left in the world. The Myanmar snub nose is critically endangered, maybe just over 300 left in the world. So they are, they are, this is an endangered species, you know, as a group, they're all endangered talking about their habitat since they're so selective, their habitat degradation is having a huge effect on them. So habitat loss with forest clearing, illegal mining, you know, hunting, you know, all of that stuff is, is impacting them. It it has had a drastic impact on them. And it's been a while since we've had a critically endangered species on the podcast, so these these guys are in trouble and, and need our attention. Well, and that's what was so interesting about preparing this week is watching just the videos and reading about their awesome behaviors and their personalities and just, like I said, looking at their uniqueness and their adaptations. But learning about the Shenanjia, I think I said that right, National Nature Reserve in China, where the population has grown by a couple hundred over the past 10 or plus years is really, really hopeful. And I, I, I cross my fingers that that trend keeps growing. And because once you see this creature and learn about these snub nose monkeys, you're going to fall in love. So who are we, who are we highlighting this week in this week's podcast organization? I do want to highlight uh, the organization that Chris and I are going to feature later this week called Save the Chimps, and they can be found at savethechimps.org. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal group, uh, nonprofit here in the United States, where they basically provide a permanent sanctuary for the lifelong care of chimpanzees that have been rescued from labs or retired from the entertainment or pet trade industry. And it's just phenomenal. They care for over 200 chip chimps on 150 acres. And they just give these creatures that have such a unique personality and social structure and life expectancy, a second chance. And, uh, we dive way more into details in our interviews about the chimps and, and you'll, you'll really learn a lot, but I think turning our attention to a, a group like save the chimps is really wonderful to help us connect with of course, great apes, but primates all across the world, uh, and just learning more about how special they are, how they, how related we are to them, how they act a lot like us, and we act a lot like them, and how we they have a lot yeah, to te- yeah. they have so much to teach us. Um, so yeah, follow Save the Chimps on Facebook or Instagram. Check out the interview. Check out their yeah. website. Yeah. Uh, Chris will put some um, information on the show notes. I think it'll. I really help uh, help you connect more with why we should care and want to save not only great apes, but also primates like the golden snub nose monkey as well. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, 
you know, all of this, it always boils down to saving ourselves. And I'm hearing that a lot more in the past year with interviewing some of our conservation experts when I say, you know, moral imperative to save the planet or endangered species. And they're like, yeah, we're saving ourselves. I mean, it goes back to Sonarto, save the tiger, save ourselves. I mean, that, that's a great quote. So we are in the holiday season. And at this time, it depends on whatever you celebrate. People are giving gifts around the world. So I just ask, be environmentally conscious. I mean, you probably bought all your gifts already at this point, but try to buy products with less plastic packaging. Near impossible with kids' toys. I get it. But just try to, in your mind, just put that seed out there and then just recycle everything you can. All that wrapping paper, all anything you can recycle, recycle. You know, I just ask that you do that this this holiday season. And then, you know, in the being in the the giving mood, donate to your favorite organization, All Creatures Podcast. No, <laughs> but <laughs> local zoos and animal shelter, something for the animals or the environment. You know, send them five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you can do. You can do, yeah. Yeah, Chris, this week, uh, the boys and I are going to do a little shopping for our local humane society. Uh, and awesome. yeah, it was actually the, uh, Xander's first grade teacher was putting it together and he's super excited about it to help out all the dogs out there. And of course I am too. And mm-hmm. we're not going to spend that much money. We're probably just going to donate some of our old towels too, that we have that, uh, have been, you know, they're nice, gently used. Uh, and then a couple dog toys and it really makes a big difference and it feels so great. And especially for the boys establishing that, like, I, yes, we're going to get right. more presents than we need most likely, but in the same instance, mm-hmm. the giving back feels the best. And there's so yeah. many different ways to do that from just sharing this podcast to following other groups on social media to of course, donating your time, your mm-hmm. energy. And mm-hmm. of course, if you, money and supplies are always a bonus too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned. Episode 200 is coming up and in, in, uh, coming soon. Uh, so look for that. But thanks, Ange. I mean, another amazing species to wrap up the holiday season. And I think kicking off 2021, we'll get back into the jungle. We'll look around Bolivia or some of those parts in South America. Always get back to Australia, New Zealand. I know the species I want to do very soon. Uh, so, so thanks and take care. Yes. Thank you, everyone. Keep your requests coming in for Chris and I, it keeps us going. And also if you can subscribe, rate and review us on iTunes, that would be very, very helpful, but we appreciate you. You guys are our conservation heroes and thanks again for learning and loving and conserving all creatures, great and small. Listen, learn, share, join the movement at allcreaturespod.com.